David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Welcome to another edition of Sports and Torts on FoxZone.com with David Spada and Elliot Harris. David and I have a couple of what we think are pretty good interviews today. We have former St. John's basketball coach Luke Harnaseka, who became a legend at that school as the successor to the legendary Joe Lapchick. First up, though, we have former Los Angeles Dodgers and Chicago Cubs third baseman Ron Say. I see that you grew up in Washington here and you played at Washington State. Was there any temptation to go right to the minor leagues out of high school? Well, you know, I had a childhood dream that uh, eventually became a reality. And, of course, I was uh, always preparing for the opportunity to play professionally. But uh, uh, I was drafted out of high school and I decided to, to explore my options and uh, it would have been great to start uh, my professional career at that point but I felt like I uh, really need to get some other things out of the way I wanted to go to school for a couple of years the draft laws were a little bit different than they are today back then and I had an opportunity to sign after my sophomore year at Washington State and uh, that played out pretty well and then I was drafted and signed by the Dodgers in 1968 yeah in, in college back then there were there was freshman teams because you couldn't play till your sophomore, right? That's correct. And we also had the Vietnam uh, War, uh, so you essentially to have a deferment needed to be in school. And uh, I remember that being great incentive to uh, to study every once in a while in college. Yeah, well, I mean, if you weren't uh, uh, up to uh, par with uh, hours and grades, uh, you were facing a 1A classification, and that pretty much sealed the deal to go to Vietnam. How how does a guy growing up in Tacoma, Washington, develop his skills compared to, say, somebody who grows up in California, Florida, Arizona, where you have sunshine uh, pretty much year-round, warm weather? Well, I was pretty naive back then, and I openly admit that. You know, I I felt like it was when it was raining in uh, Tacoma and Seattle, that it was raining everywhere in the world. So when I was out playing in the rain, I felt like I was the one who had the advantage. So little did I know later on, uh, of course, the the warmer weather uh, states, Florida, Texas, Arizona, California, all had superior advantages. And uh, we didn't have a... Uh, a, uh, a a number of games that was scheduled uh, on the top end. We uh, only played 38 games at Washington State, and I remember uh, seeing Arizona State play in the mid-80s, so a uh, tremendous advantage for them. Uh, but still, I was able to accomplish what I needed to do and move on. You played your sophomore year in college. What made you decide to uh, enter the draft and decide if you could play in the major leagues? Well, I mean, look, I already knew that uh, that opportunity was going to come. If I got drafted in high school, which I did, um, I had an opportunity to start it then. 
but I decided that uh, I was going to wait, and uh, I think waiting helped me, uh, helped me uh, mature a little bit, um, uh, find out what life was uh, outside of uh, uh, the parents' reach, um, to be on my own, to start doing things, and I didn't think it would be a very good idea when I was uh, 18 years old to try and see what that was like, plus tackle my uh, profession at the same time. So I gave myself a little leeway to uh, get that stuff out of the way and uh, you know, pretty much played true. Your transition from college to minor league ball, what was that experience like? Uh, it was an opportunity to uh, start living my dream, uh, you know, playing every day, uh, seeing what that uh, entails uh you know it's now you're this is what you're doing you know eight hours a day you're preparing for games you're you're training you're mentally putting things in place you are putting together uh a database essentially in your mind about uh, the players that you face and and uh and use that when you play so there was a lot of homework in the beginning but eventually it became uh things that uh would uh uh, reoccur, and uh, so uh, as time went on, and uh, I uh, became a, a a player that was playing every day in the major leagues, the uh, homework got a little bit different. That Dodger minor league system in the '60s was absolutely loaded. You had yourself, Garvey, Lopes, Russell, Bobby Valentine, Bill Buckner. And what was the key? Was it just good drafting, or was it great coaching and managing? Well, I mean, it's a combination of all of those things you know we were we had the uh, 1968 draft which is heralded as the number one all-time draft made it baseball history essentially it's been documented many times uh there were plenty of other players in that group uh, tom pashorek doyle alexander bill buckner uh all who had long careers uh successful careers and uh you know you uh you you have an opportunity that was uh Created by the Dodgers, uh, you wanted to take advantage of it. I think everybody on that uh, in that group uh, understood the, uh, the 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 challenges and demands of representing the the Dodger organization in its history and tradition, and uh, we were able to make that happen. Were you glad to see Wes Parker retire so Garvey could play first base? Uh, I think that's. The question you probably should give Steve uh, <laughs> wasn't going to be playing third base, and uh, his opportunity actually his first opportunity came in left field, uh, which he he could not play. So uh, his options were short, and uh, once uh, Von Joshua uh, got hurt in spring training, uh, who was supposed to be our left fielder, and Bill Buckner opening at first base, that created an opportunity for. Uh, for uh, Steve, and he uh, was able to make the best of that. You played for Walter Alston, who was probably one of the most quiet managers in the history of baseball. You also played for Tom Lasorda, who doesn't quite fit that description. What, what was it like to play for both of those guys? In the, well, in the I grew leagues? up with Tommy uh, in the minor leagues, and uh, you know, he, I was one of his guys, and he fought for me as he did the others. And uh, I think one of the the uh, the best assets that he had was he he recognized talent and uh, and he surrounded himself with those younger players and it was actually uh, a key to his his uh, 
way up the ladder, uh, you know, surrounding himself with those players that would eventually have great success in the major leagues. And, and yes, you were correct in, in that uh, Tommy and Walt, personality-wise, were completely opposites. And uh, Tommy was more of a hands-on guy, and Walt was uh, pretty quiet and shy. But, uh, uh, you know, his his words uh, when he spoke were, were powerful, and uh, he got his point across. And I was fortunate to play for uh, uh, both of those people who became uh, Hall of Fame managers. When they put that infield together with Garvey at first, Wilkes at second, you at third, and Russell at short, did you realize that you guys were going to stay together as long as you did? Because that was a rarity. Well, it's it. Uh, no, there's no way to to know that. Um, you know, we we. <laughs> I don't even think they uh, had records uh, that they were aware of that uh, we were starting to chase at that point in time. I think the second longest running infield in major league history was probably half of what we did, and I think it was the Cubs infield that stayed together. Now, uh, and I think that was uh, Williams, Becker, Kessinger, and Santo. And, of course, they did not have the success that we did as a team. Uh, individually, they were very good. Uh, Santo and Williams becoming Hall of Fame players eventually. Uh, and Santo, because he grew up in the Northwest uh, at 14 or 15, I guess, I was being compared to being the next Ron Santo. And the the uh, comparison eventually became uh, worthy and a reality. Uh, so that was uh, it's a longer story to tell, but uh, uh, we ended up having a relationship and we're friends and uh, glad that that took place. But uh, there's no there's no way to to really know. We're all out there trying to be individually successful so our team can be successful. And we were in four World Series in ten years, and that's when they had the only the National League East and West, so the winners were the only ones who went forward, and it was a five-game series rather than seven. So uh, things got real tight back then, but uh, for what we did as a unit, we played eight and a half years together, which is a major league record, and by fact, we are the most successful, not greatest, but most successful infield in major league history. You're also part of a quartet with the Garvey, Reggie Smith, and Dusty Baker the first four t- teammates to hit 30 home runs in the same season. That was in 77. That's correct. That was Tommy uh, Lasorda's uh, first year managing us, and uh, we gave him a, a nice start and cushion in April. Uh, we ran off a 17-3 and record, and uh, by the time May was over with, we were uh, well on our way to uh, winning that division uh, months in advance. So uh, it was a nice present for him. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the foursome was the first one in major league history to do that. And I think it's been done maybe four or five times after that, but we were the first ones to do it. Well, you guys did it in a time when hitting 30 home runs was something. Nowadays, it's a lot more common than back then. Well, uh, yeah, but you're talking about the steroid era, which is right. something that, uh, you know, we try to avoid, uh, talking about. Um, yes, that's true. But if you look at, the number of players who uh, hit 30 home runs last year in Major League Baseball, it kind of goes back to old school. Uh, I think Nelson Cruz led Major Leagues in home runs with 40. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton was second, I believe, and he missed the last month of the season. And I think there were maybe five other guys that did that in all of baseball. So 
it really does go back to the time when 30 home runs and 100 runs batted in puts you probably in the top five in both categories. And Dodgers and Dodgers Stadium is a pitcher's park too. I mean, it's not a hitter's park there. Uh, it's always been, but it's a little bit more friendly for hitters today because when we uh, put in our uh, elite dugout seats, uh, we actually moved that up closer to home plate. So we took about half the foul ground behind home plate away, which in reality probably means about an inning a game uh, because of the foul pop-ups that go back and now are in the stands that would have been caught. So it, it has become friendlier probably by an inning. Of the four World Series that you were in, your favorite? Well, I mean, obviously the the winning of 81 and the icing being an MVP of that uh, World Series was as good as it gets. Uh, the 78 World Series was probably the most disappointing uh, because that was a series that we had in hand and uh, an interference call in the uh, sixth inning of Game 4 when we were ahead 3 to nothing. Uh, changed the entire complexion of the series. Uh, Reggie Jackson stuck out his hip on a double play ball, and uh, the umpire did not rule it correctly. And if it had been where they, you know, huddled together and had the instant replay, because it's been shown thousands of times that uh, you'd have seen that uh, it was a voluntary uh, interference and uh, would the inning would have been over and we probably would have cruised to uh, a victory and, and um, in my opinion, would have won the World Series uh, the day after. That 81 season was just, it seemed like it was crazy for the Dodgers because you had a young pitcher in Fernando Valenzuela take the nation by storm there, and it seemed like you guys were just destined to win that year, and you got to play the Yankees in that World Series. Well, yeah. Um, you know, you essentially you had two of the greatest uh uh, organizations in Major League Baseball history uh, playing together again, and it was something I think everybody wanted to see. Uh, certainly they were still playing great in the 70s, and we were playing great in the 70s, so it was pretty much a uh, television ideal matchup, and uh, we got to play three of those World Series against the Yankees, and it was a thrill. What was it like leaving the Dodger organization to come to Chicago to play for the Cubs? difficult. Uh, I had been hoping that I could uh, play my entire career, uh, which <laughs> for most people doesn't happen. <laughs> you get to play in one place. Only a handful of guys have ever been able to do that. So eventually everybody gets traded. Uh, and uh, it, I was disappointed because I still felt like I had a lot to go yet. And I ended up playing another five years. And uh, and I, and in Chicago was probably the uh, the the uh, best place for me to go and 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 finish my career uh, because I had family there and my wife was from Chicago and uh, it made the transition a lot easier. So uh, that part of it worked out well. And we also had a really terrific team in 1984 that Dallas Green put together. Uh, we had the uh, we had the Cy Young winner in, in uh, Rick Sutcliffe. We had the most valuable player in Ryan Sandberg. And uh, I was fortunate to uh, lead that club in home runs and runs batted in. And we lost that uh, final game of the NLCS uh, in San Diego. And uh, that was equally as disappointing. I remember 
writing Dale Green a letter in the 83 offseason saying, right before the 83 season saying, you know what, you got to get my favorite player, Steve Garvey from the Dodgers. And he wrote me back, he goes, I'll see what I can do. He brought you in, which I was very happy with. But if you would have brought Steve and you, I think you guys would have won that World Series. Well, Leon Durham actually uh, played very well for us. Uh, Leon ended up playing one RBI behind me. Uh, he hit more home runs and drove in more runs than Garvey. Um, and I think that uh, Leon was probably in his prime uh, at that point, and uh, productivity was great. So uh, I disagree with you on end because uh, when Garvey went to San Diego, uh, I don't think he – Drove in more than 80 at best, and I don't think he had 20 home runs down there in one season at all. I think it was more like, you know, 10 to 15 at best. So, uh, Leon was a, uh, was an asset to us, and, uh, and, uh, we, we had Larry Bull at shortstop, so we had a real quality infield. When you went to the Cubs, did you know that you were going to have to change from number 10, or did you ask for it? I did, but Leon had it, and and uh, I I tried to explain to him that uh, <laughs> I really was trying to uh, uh, follow in uh, in in the footsteps of Ron Santo here, and if he would have given me number ten, that would have kind of topped it off. But I respected his decision, and uh, and actually Larry Boa was there the year before. And Larry had always worn number 10 in Philadelphia, so uh, I figured if Larry couldn't get it off Leon, I probably wasn't going to get it off him either. So, What made the 84 season so magical? I mean, the Cubs weren't expected to do anything, and it just they just seemed to do it. What was the key? Well, uh, there are a lot of things. I mean, if you look at uh, uh, the, 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 the people that I mentioned that, that won awards, I mean, you're going to see that, you know, that, that they, had a, they, they both had great seasons there, plus you – you you look at uh, what Jody Davis did, what Leon did, uh, Bobby Janier, Gary Matthews, uh, uh, Keith Moreland, uh, uh, the Everyday Eight guys. Uh, you can pretty much say that this was either was their top performance or was close to it for their career. And when you look at the other people that were in our rotation, when you're talking about uh, uh, Steve Trout, who I'm pretty sure had his best year. Uh, uh, Dennis Eckersley, who became a Hall of Famer. Uh, you had uh, Dick Ruthven and Scott Sanderson. Now that's a pretty good rotation. And then you uh, you had a bullpen that uh, that that got things done. Uh, Tim Stoddard, uh, 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 Warren Brewstar, uh, to mention a few. And then you had your closer and Lee Smith. Uh, I believe we won 96 games, and we were playing in the same division that uh, the Mets uh, were playing very well. Uh, and they had a strong club and, a, and an outstanding pitching staff. So the work was there for us to get done, and, uh, you know, we just uh, were able to put it together, and the chemistry was great. How did you know when it was time to hang them up? Uh, when it becomes a job, for the most part. Um, I never considered, although it is, a job. But uh, I always had fun it was always about uh, playing a game that i enjoyed as a kid and and having the best time of it and fortunately a lot of positive things were accomplished and we won a lot and individually i did well and and uh so you know it kind of came to a point in your career where you're not able to play every day anymore the same kind of contributions aren't going to be the same 
um, people are going to have uh, different ideas of how to best utilize you, and that may or may not work. And uh, it all became, you know, very difficult not to be playing every day after you've done that your whole career, and and uh, not having the same kind of individual success, and just not being able to do some of the things that you knew that you were capable of earlier that uh, you can't get done. So it become it wears on you a bit, and actually becomes a job, a difficult job, and. Uh, you know, this handwriting is on the wall. Uh, you try to play it as long as you can, uh, do as well as you can, but uh, uh, somebody ends up making a decision for you, and, you know, pretty much uh, that's the end of it. Was the Dodger clubhouse always filled with celebrities? It seemed like whenever you saw it, you had Lasorda, you had Frank Sinatra there, Dean Martin, all these celebrities, Tom Bosley from Happy Days. Was it was it that a media creation, or was it actually like that? Uh, no, I mean it. It was there before us and uh, and remained, and we didn't have nearly the kind of security that uh, uh, we, we uh, have currently at Dodger Stadium today. Uh, everybody's walking around with credentials, and security people are everywhere, and it's just different. You can't uh, unless you have proper identification, you can't get from one place to the next. But uh, those people came in freely, and yes, Frank was there a lot, and. Uh, became friends with him uh, as well as the others and uh, really enjoyed that time. It was a lot of fun for all of us. Why did your singing career not take off? You had uh, <laughs> third, base, third base bag on one side and one game at a time. It, you know, I don't know if it hit the top of the Billboard charts in '76 or not. But uh, well, it it didn't. Vero Beach, Florida. Uh, they used to play it every <laughs> half inning in between. Uh, uh, you know, the uh, the the game, but. Uh, uh, it was all done in fun back then. Uh, it was an opportunity to do a baseball jingle and had fun doing it. And uh, just goes to show you what uh, your seventh grade boys' glee class can, uh, can do for you <laughs> later on in history. Did you ever get a chance to talk to and get to know Jackie Robinson? Uh, did not. Uh, Roy Campanella was uh, was around a lot early when I was here uh, in a wheelchair, uh, confined. But he was he was uh, very gracious, and he knew just about everybody, and uh, was always uh, there to talk. And you know, he had his group of catchers that uh, that he spoke with, and I'm sure he gave them a lot of information and knowledge to take forward. And uh, you know, terrific guy. The Dodger organization seems to be one of the few that uh, embraces its former players. You know, Don Newcomb, longtime uh, member of that that illustrious group, as are you. Is there something special about the Dodgers? Uh, well, yeah, I would say there is. Uh, you know, we're we have had an organization that's had uh, well cut out the last twenty seven years, of which we have not been to the World Series. But uh, you know, through the forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties. Uh, the Dodgers were in the World Series multiple times, and that was more about the history and tradition that made them one of the greatest organizations in baseball. And of course, I'll do credit to the Yankees; uh, they're on a pillar of their own. I'll, I'll do credit to the Yankees, uh, but uh, the Dodgers over here have had a, uh, a very successful history and tradition in the past. And based on all those years I told you, from the '40s to the, through the '80s of being in the World Series, and and having the first black player in baseball, and Jackie Robinson, uh, all the all the great players that we've had come before us, uh, the Colfaxes and the Drysdales, and 
and uh, uh, you know it was just a, a a a great organization to be involved in, and they were still in their at, at peak performance, and and uh, we've got to try and get that back here. Our new ownership is fully engaged today and making that happen and yes we are spending a ton of money to make it happen but uh, I don't think they're going to uh, relax and and back off of it until we accomplish getting back in and winning World Series. I think they realize that the key to success that the Dodgers have had for years and they kind of got away from is the young talent and you've got that young talent coming up with Puig, you have Peterson here, the young pitchers like Clayton Kershaw, and you're a little older than Zach Greinke, you're getting it done. Uh, we are, but, uh, you know, baseball is a, is a different animal today. Um, uh, we, we are not allowed to, uh, nurture the farm system as well as we did back in those times. Uh, there's an immediate demand to win today, uh, with saber metrics in place and the way contracts are going, you know, people are changing places at a rapid pace and nobody stays in one place more than five years now. So, uh, the, you know, we, we have to, we have to be careful about, uh, all of that. Uh, it's, it's difficult on our, on our fan base because they changers, the change in name of the players from year to year is, is, is huge. Uh, this year in the starting eight, we possibly have a, uh, uh, Grand Dahl catching more than AJ. Uh, um, we have two middle infielders and Jimmy Rollins and Howie Kendrick that, Came from, came to us this uh, this off season. Uh, we we have a new center fielder in Jock Peterson. Uh, we're hoping that he can handle that. We have a realigned bullpen. Um, we have two new pitchers in our rotation at the end of that. Uh, so we have we have lots of things to uh, to to uh, put in place this year. I'm confident that we will get something done. Uh, but you know the. The Giants are, are still our biggest nemesis, and all due respect to the Giants as well. Uh, you know, they've won three titles in the last five years, so they are, they have been, over this period of time, the best team in baseball. Well, I'm older than you, so I, I miss the continuity of the roster where, you know, it might be two or three new faces in the season and, and stuff like that, and you, you knew the lineups, you, you knew who was on the bench. Right. It, it's, it's just a totally different ball game, literally. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it, it's difficult too on our on our kids who are coming into minor leagues uh, that are climbing the ladder and putting themselves in a uh, great position for an opportunity, and then you you go out and sign some person to a five year contract and uh, kind of shoot you dead in the water here, and maybe the best place for you to go is someplace else. But uh, mentioning Jimmy Rollins and Howie Kendrick, you know the, that essentially on paper is a short-term relationship as well. Uh, Howie Kendrick is in the last year of his contract, I believe. And uh, when you talk about uh, Zach Grinke, Zach has a, has a clause in his contract where he can opt out after this year. So um, it seems like uh, you, you have a lot of uh, uh, short-term decisions to make and, and, uh, and put a ball club together, and, and uh, it, just, it makes it real difficult for everything. Do you think there's a chance you might get in the Hall of Fame someday? No, I think I've probably been ruled out of that. Uh, I, I did not see myself as a Hall of Fame player. I know I was an elite player at my position when I was playing. I know that uh, my friend Ron Santo uh, was uh, fourth all-time in home runs by a third baseman 
uh, and I was fifth when I retired. Uh, he was sixth in games played, and I was eighth. And this comparison between, as I mentioned earlier, between he and I actually became pretty real. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, an amazing experience for me. And I think that, uh, uh, for the most part, from what I'm told, uh, by people outside, <laughs> uh, I still have a fan base out there, which I get fan mail pretty much every day, uh, which I find to be pretty amazing now that I've been out of the game for 27 years. But, uh, I've read a few things about the, uh, Saber metrics and, uh, people have told me that I'm actually more valued today in this system than I was when I was playing. So I, I it's nice that somebody's paying attention, but I think it's a little late. Was there any pitcher uh, other than a uh, top of the rotation guy who gave you trouble that you just couldn't figure out how he got you out time after time? Uh, pretty much everybody listed from A to Z. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is funny. I, I look back on it now and, uh, it, it's, it's pretty, uh, you, you know, you have a place where you can go and you can pick up, uh, all your statistics. You can see every game that you ever played. You can see every pitcher that you ever faced. Uh, and, and it literally goes A to Z. And when I looked at this list, eventually so I, I finally decided to go check it out. I was afraid I was going to be embarrassed, and I probably was embarrassed by by looking at it. But there were guys in there that I'm saying, "God, did I have that much trouble against him?" I, that's hard to believe. But uh, uh, the, the the toughest guy for me to face that I never felt comfortable with, regardless. And I and I'm sure that there were other guys who had got me out better than he did, and and so on. But uh, Kent Tacolvi gave me a lot of trouble. I just just never felt comfortable in the box against him. I tried to move up on the plate, I backed off of it, I moved back in the box and moved up in the box. It didn't seem to matter. It seems like he always breaking my back. But uh, I also, on the plus side of things, uh, I had uh, more home runs off of Steve Carlton and Tom Seaver than I did anybody else against him in my career. So that was the plus side. And, uh, yeah, that's that's not too shabby. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying I, I I own them. I just hurt them at times. That's that's about the extent of it. I look at Tommy Lasorda's Twitter account. Every day he's got beautiful women kissing him, hugging him, swooning over him. It's like he's a movie star. Is he that well loved out there? Uh, yeah, Tommy's pretty much an icon. You know, he's. I think his popularity has probably grown and. Uh, and uh, he probably feels a need to go on the social media uh, stuff. I do not. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. Um, I'd rather just keep that to myself. But uh, uh, yeah, Tommy is is uh, not only our ambassador for the Dodgers, but he's pretty much baseball's ambassador as well. And and he has uh, got a schedule that. Uh, uh, even me being 20 years younger than him, I do not want to. Uh, to, to it's uh, he's on the go all the time, and I was just over in in Arizona at our spring training complex, and he's been there the entire time, and he dresses out most every day, and there's not a lot of involvement, but you know he still enjoys going over there and and talking with uh, you know some of the kids and being around the fans, and uh, yeah, he's uh, he's been very active still. Do you ever suit up, uh, get in the batter's box, or? Uh 
play the field, or are those days long gone? Oh uh, well, I mean, you'll see me in uniform in spring training when I go over there and do our guest instructors part that I put together here again uh, uh, with our new ownership. Uh, I always enjoyed having players uh, that uh, were a part of our uh, history and tradition uh, come to spring training, and now I could put the, uh, the person with the picture and get to know him and see the teams that he played for and the world championship teams and all that stuff. And we had a very subliminal message going on in Vero Beach, which is, you know, we kind of want you to be that guy and we want you to be having your teams in these pictures up on the wall as well. So I told Peter O'Malley that. I said, I got the message. I think our other guys got the message as well. And he kind of smiled and said, well, I'm glad that worked. But um, um, we had a great time with all of that. And uh, and uh, I, 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 uh, I dress out and, and uh, I'm watching and in the clubhouse and during the meetings. And then we have an old-timers game, which uh, we do not play in anymore. Uh, but I've got too much arthritis, and I'm just too old to do all of this stuff anymore. So who's going to hang it up first, Tommy Lasorda or your announcer, uh, Vince Scully? Uh, 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 let me just say this. They're both the same age. Uh, and I think that they're probably going to be here uh, until it's over. I, that Vinny, is, Vinny always has this cordial acceptance of saying, yes, I'm coming back. And I'm going to do one more year, and I think he can do it as long as he wants to. And uh, Tommy's going to be here under the same premise, I believe. They're going to be here as long as they want. Now, you in high school, you were a three-sports star. Have you let Magic Johnson know this and that you'd like to take him on one-on-one? Well, you know, about the only thing I think I can do probably okay now is probably shoot free throws. Um <laughs> I don't think Magic, he has too much of a height advantage and he weighs quite a bit more than I do, so I don't think I'd be a good one-on-one matchup. But if we were going to go out and play horse and if I could stand at the free throw line and shoot free throws, I'd probably probably hold my own. One last thing. I'm looking at a bobblehead in my office I bought on eBay. It's a Rick Monday with the American flag. What was that game like when that happened? Well, it was uh, kind of difficult from our vantage point because uh, our dugouts were further back, as I mentioned, we realigned the field a little bit. And uh, um, all I remember is Rick Monday running over into left field and, try- and scooping up something that uh, two kids had brought onto the field, and we did not know it was an American flag at that point in time. Um, and guess the rest is history. You know, he you know saved the burning flag, and uh, you know, and and. Uh, and, and has always been remembered for that, but uh, um, really, really did not have a great view of what was going on. But uh, I'm certainly glad he went over and uh, and and uh, was able to wrestle it away for those two goods. Um, you know, I, I guess that was their way of saying a freedom of speech. I guess. I think that's the first time a team's given away a bobblehead of a player on another team because he's got the Cub uniform on. Ah, okay. Um, uh, I, I actually have not seen that one. Uh, we, we usually do, uh, we have a number of giveaways here, uh, at Dodger Stadium, uh, each year where we have probably five or six days where we give away bobbleheads and, um, uh, it's, it's a fun event for everybody. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, bobbleheads are, you know, uh, you know, uh, something that's uh, mainstream today. Everybody's got them. Uh, I, I saw something the other day. I think it said the Dodgers lead uh, Major League Baseball in 
in giveaways for this 2015 season. So, well, I mean, last year and the year before, we led major league in attendance, and uh, we also led major league in attendance two years ago on the road, I believe, and that was something uh, our clubs used to do back then. Um, it's it's uh, it's actually it's a great honor. It hasn't been done too many times in in uh, in major league history, but uh, certainly we're. Uh, we're we're geared to lead Major League Baseball again uh, in attendance. Uh, we were the first team during my year as well. Another thing to add on to the Dodger history and tradition, we were the first team in Major League history to draw three million people. And uh, now, factually, they live in the house that we built. Hope you enjoyed that time with Ron Say. After this brief break, we'll be back with Lou Carnesecca. Mm-hmm. 